Well, good morning. I'm BJ. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I'm going to read our scripture reading for the morning, which is in Psalm 16, verses 5 through 11. And it says this, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my, my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me in the presence of abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Amen to that. Good morning again, everyone. Good to see you guys. <clears throat> I was in the back a little too long, and I, I was going to pray, but I, I didn't hear it was prayed. And um, just been on my heart this morning to just a lot of thankfulness for all that the Lord has done here in the church. And um, as we, as I was just listening to that psalm be read, I just, I don't know what came up in my heart. I was just so thankful for our four church family, for um, the churches in this area that we get to fellowship with, that we get to spend time with, and church unity, and seeing that unity modeled here, but also in the macro with our other church family. I'm just so grateful for you guys. I'm so thankful to be a part of not only this, but a larger church family, and I hope you guys know that um, you are dearly loved, and um, it's a blessing to spend time with you every week. It's a blessing uh, to get to see you guys, so um, I hope that you know just how much you're appreciated and how much you're loved here. And, and if you didn't know until now, we sure love you. There you go. <clears throat> I'd like to begin this morning, as I do from time to time, uh, with a brief look into my childhood. <laughs> it's nice that everyone laughs as soon as I say that. Because <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Probably it's going to be something comedic. Um, I remember watching the classic Peter Pan film, Hook, when I was a kid. How many of you guys have seen Hook before? It's like, all right, there we go. Everyone like, okay, good. I was a youngster who loved to play baseball. I, I remember um, my earliest childhood memories, I had a baseball glove in my hand, and, and uh, I played baseball from the age of five all the way through into high school. And um, so I naturally uh, connected with Peter's son in the movie, who was this little kid who was a a big time, you know, just love playing baseball. He always has a glove in his hand and a ball and, and uh, wants his dad to come to his baseball games. And just, you know, this kid who loves baseball. I connected with him because of this. And um, it was only because of that. It had nothing to do with his attitude or his big mouth. We had a lot in common. Anyways, Peter, who's a father figure in the movie, is consumed with work. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All through the opening scenes of the movie, he's consumed with this job. He's consumed with everything that's going on. And even on a family trip, he's glued to his cellular, cellular device, which is funny because this is an older movie and cell phones, you know, we didn't have iPhones yet. And he was still glued to this phone that was connected to his work. And I remember being shocked as a young kid watching this movie for the first time. When he and his wife are having a disagreement as they travel to London and they're staying in this house and they're in the upper story room and, and he's about to answer his phone. And she's like, you're missing out on your kid's childhood. And he's like, I have to take this phone call. 
And she's like, she looks at him, he goes, and like extends the antenna and goes to take the, and she grabs the phone and she chucks it out the window. I was shocked as a kid. I was like, first of all, mom tells us not to throw stuff. But not only that, I just remember thinking to myself like, wow, she really overreacted. What an overreaction. And then I got married. (laughs) And I had a gaggle of kids. And I have seen my wife's eyes, much like a shark when they gloss over before the kill. And I thought to myself, she's not just going to throw my phone through that window. I'm going through the window as well. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, what's the answer here? Is it anger management? No. Maybe. No. So, you guys, it's not anger management that's the problem. The problem is not with Peter's wife in this situation that we, we hopefully are like, okay, I haven't seen it, but that explains it enough. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not the problem with, with her. She's not necessarily out of line. She has been pushed to extreme measures because Peter's priorities are wrong. The only thing that matters to him is his job. The only thing that he's thinking about is his big deal that he's working on for work. His priorities are off. That's the problem. And dovetailing off of that, what we studied last week as we closed out the letter of 1 John, we were looking at our priorities in the sense of idolatry. He says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. And we talked about how every single one of us struggles with this issue. It's not a little idol that sits on a shelf. It's something that consumes your mind. It's something that consumes your life. It's something that takes place of the worship of God and the loving of your neighbor that he has called us to from the beginning. It's something that takes the place of that. And so as that thought marinated in my heart this week, I was conflicted. Because it's so difficult for me to keep my priorities straight. It's so hard for me to keep the things that matter most at the core and at the center and to let everything else populate from that core. It's why I wanted to sing the song, Build My Life, before we got into this text this morning, because I want to think about us building our lives on the foundation of the love of Christ, and everything that we build on that foundation will reflect either the solidity of the foundation we're building upon or the problem. Because many of you know this, if you build on a bad foundation, it doesn't matter how good your paint job is. It doesn't matter how tight your drywalling is. It doesn't matter all of the work that you put into everything above the foundation. If the foundation is off, if the foundation is flawed and cracked, the whole thing's coming down. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And so church, we have to get this right Maybe in our minds we know what the correct order of our priorities are. It's hard to say really fast. But you guys, functionally, we compromise in unhealthy ways. And Gandhi wisely said this, action expresses priorities. Action expresses priorities. It's a very wise thing to say. Because he recognizes that you can say what's important to you. You can say what's at the core, but how you live will prove it. You'll learn about my priorities by watching my life. This is very convicting stuff. Because if you're one of my staff members and you work with me, you know how performance-driven I can be. 
you know how this needs to be tight, this needs to be right, this needs to flow, it needs to be good, and God breaks the air conditioner. (laughs) To prove to me that oftentimes my priorities are not his. And that I need to recenter. I need to come back to what matters most. And that led me to this text for this morning. And I'm really excited to share this with you guys and to just enjoy being in this. I think sometimes we come into the Bible and we're like, okay, we got to figure this out. We just got to understand. It's like, why don't we just settle into a situation that involved Jesus and this family that he loved very much and just let the story unfold? That's what I want to do this morning. We're in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to find the gospel of Luke. It's sandwiched between Mark and John. And in Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 38. And I'll give you just a moment. And as you turn there, we're going to interact with two of a three-sibling group that appear with some frequency through the gospel accounts. And I'm talking about Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Let's take a look at this, this family issue that crops up. And this is a family that Jesus loves dearly, just like us, just like our family. Luke 10, verse 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I just ask as we begin this that we would all come very honestly and humbly to this text with a willingness to hear what you have to say. Even right now, Lord, the idols in our lives are probably trying to pull our attention. The things that we have let supersede the importance of relationship with you could be trying to distract us at this very moment. And Spirit, I ask that you would silence those voices. Silence the distraction in our head. Silence the distractions in our pockets. Lord, would you allow us to just engage with you here? To posture ourselves as Mary does in this text and sit at your feet as your disciples. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Lord, edit whatever it is that I'm going to say. Allow this to be spoken from your authority, from your perspective, and align us according to your will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We know the village where Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus lived was called Bethany, and it was on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It's about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. So it's not very far off from the city itself, and um, Jesus and the disciples would sometimes stay in Bethany when they came to Judea, and our text this morning is not the only time that he visited this house of Martha Mary and Lazarus and these three siblings have provided and will provide other opportunities of basically being a backdrop for the interactions of Christ with people. 
And this is a family that Jesus loved. John 11, which is one of my favorite chapters in scripture. I love the story of Lazarus. I love what the story of Lazarus leads to. And some people are like, what does the story of Lazarus leads to? Well, Lazarus gets raised from the dead in John 11. And in John 12, his life is immediately in danger because they need to re-kill the guy that was unkilled because he's too much of a demonstration of the power of Christ. And Lazarus's life has always been something that inspires me because of Christ, because of what Jesus did. We're not really told much about what Lazarus did, but the power of Christ is so evidently displayed in Lazarus. It doesn't really matter what Lazarus does. What matters most is that Jesus's power was seen so clearly in him. There's a lesson to be learned from that. We're not teaching from John 11 today. I apologize. But in John 11, (laughs) one of my favorite chapters This gives the account of not just the raising of Lazarus, but some interactions, some key interactions with Martha, with Mary, and with the family. And in John 11.5, John records very clearly the following about the three siblings. Notice the clarity and the simplicity of this passage. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, that would be Mary, and Lazarus. How impactful would it be to you to read your family's names in that text? Now, Jesus loved. And it says you, your spouse, and your children. Jesus loved these people. It's the truth. It's spoken over all of us, church. He loves you and your family. He cares about you and your family. He wants relationship with you and your family. Jesus longs for this relationship with us that isn't limited to just bumping into us on the road. He had a special relationship with them. Why? Because when Jesus came to Bethany, Martha opened the door. When Jesus came to visit, the doors of their home were open. He was welcome there. He's looking for those who will open their doors to him just as Martha did in both a literal sense And also in a spiritual sense. Who did Martha believe Jesus to be? Also revealed to us in John chapter 11. This is another powerful thing. We think often about Peter's confession of Jesus being the Messiah in Caesarea Philippi. We talk about that often. But in John 11, 25 through 27, we find a powerful confession on Martha's behalf of who Jesus is. Take a look at this. Verse 25 of John 11, Jesus said to her, speaking to Martha... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. This is Martha speaking. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Amen, Martha. It's a powerful confession. Martha's awesome. And not perfect not so perfect just like us you're like mike called me awesome and not perfect the reason you're awesome is christ in you the hope of glory church she still has doubts she still gets distracted she still gets frustrated with her siblings are my children listening Verse 39, she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. And before we get into the conflict, let's look at the personality difference. Okay, so first we're seeing here that Martha's the one who opens the door. Some scholars would suggest then that Martha was probably the oldest. She certainly acts like an oldest. 
she's very logistically minded. Let's get this done. This needs to be done. You know, right? Maybe. I don't know. But she certainly seems like, my daughter's laughing. She certainly seems like an oldest Gina. The personality differences, however, between these two are fascinating. They're fascinating because you enter Mary into the picture and immediately she is postured in this text as a disciple. She's sitting at the Lord's feet. She's listening to what he says. By the way, not normal in this day. This is not a normal posture to find a young lady at the feet of the rabbi. They wouldn't allow it. Jesus allows it. Jesus broke a lot of cultural rules. You guys, the personality difference between these two is interesting to observe because so many of us see these personalities between us and our siblings. Maybe it's between us and our spouse. Opposites attract. It's true. So in a lot of ways, my wife and I will look at each other and go, how in the world did we end up in the same house? We see things completely differently. And it's beautiful because it's complimentary. And we're balancing each other out. And as life goes on, I'm becoming more like her. And she's trying to not become more like me. But there's, there's these things that are happening that you just can't stop. I'm just trying to rub off all of my good aspects, all my good qualities, and none of the bad ones. You guys, these personalities, we start seeing these things between us and our friends. You start looking at your friend group, and you're like, but they're so talented, and they're so gifted. They can do all this cool stuff, and I'm just over here trying to play jacks right, and I can't get it down, right? Who sucked at jacks as a kid? I did. You guys... We see that Martha is the kids are like, what's jacks? We'll explain later. We'll play with you guys. Who's played jacks before? Oh, good. The spirit is in the room. We see that Martha's practical. She's getting the house in order. She's serving the food. She's getting the logistics done. We see that Mary, both here in Luke 10 and in John chapter 12, displays a different personality. First of all, I talked about it before. She's discipled. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's postured as a disciple. The second thing that we see Mary postured as in John chapter 12, verse 3, is a worshiper who extravagantly worships. She's not doing it in the way that other people are doing it around her. Look at John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary, as Jesus is in the house, took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I think a lot of times we go by that and we're like, huh, weird. And we move on to something else. Wait a second. This act of worship in John chapter 12 reveals something very important about who Mary is. The act of worship she shows is so humble and devoted to Christ. She's wiping his feet with her hair. And it's not just that's like a, wow, what a thing to do. You understand that Jewish women rarely unbound their hair in public. That was a rarity. And not only that, what she was washing his feet with, what she anointed him with, was expensive. Most likely her dowry. She was giving everything that she had, her hopes, to prepare and anoint Jesus' body before he went to the cross. It was a beautiful act of worship. She was intent on loving and honoring Jesus regardless of what it cost her, regardless of what people around her thought. Have you ever been humiliated in your worship for Jesus? Have I ever been? I've been made fun of. But I don't know that it's been as costly for me and as revealing of my heart and open to being shamed by others 
as hers was in that moment. Does that mean that Martha wasn't a disciple or that Martha didn't hold the same view of Christ as Mary did because she was different? Because Martha went about things differently. I think a lot of times we look at Martha and we're like, yeah, she had problems. She was pretty stuck up. Hold on a second. I think we've already seen that she certainly is a disciple of Christ and that she does worship him. Don't forget her confession in John 11. She confesses, you are the Messiah. She believes it with all of her heart. There's no doubt that she loves Jesus. Mary wouldn't be sitting at his feet here in Luke 10 if Martha didn't. Martha opened the door to the house. She's the one that invited Jesus in. He's there because Martha invited him. We cannot start assessing value based on people's personalities. And I don't know how many of you have experienced this or feel this way from time to time, but I just want to dig into this just a hair. Well, maybe a shovelful. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He didn't make a mistake when he designed you, when he handcrafted you. Your personality is by design. Embrace it. That doesn't mean that you won't grow. It doesn't mean that there's, there's parts of my personality that he is shaping and changing or even shutting up, so to speak. But what it does mean is this. You should not feel invalidated in your status before God because your personality is different or because your skill set is different or because what you do is not as visible as others. It is valuable in the kingdom of God. And Jesus loves Martha just as much as he loves Mary. And Jesus loves every single one of you just as much as he loves me or somebody else that you look and say, wow, this person's able to do this or that and I feel like I can't. I have insecurities too. I have things that I wish I could do. I have people in my life like, man, why can't I do that? Why can't I be like that? This isn't an issue of Martha and Mary having these personalities that one of them God likes and the other one he doesn't. It's not that situation at all. It's not about personalities. This is about priorities. Because we know from John chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loves this family as they, as they are. Doesn't mean that Martha loves Jesus less. Doesn't mean that her belief in Jesus isn't as strong as Mary's. It's a matter of priority. Loves him. Trying to figure out if my personality type is the type that Jesus loves or the most or whatever. We have to accept and believe the truth of his word that he loves us regardless of our personality. And I want to remind you of this very firmly this morning, church, because I want every single person to walk out of this sanctuary this morning being affirmed in who Christ says you are. Remember Romans 5.8, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want to remind you that when Jesus saved you, he didn't make you a better version of you. He made you a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. And you need to remember that you don't have to wallow in the struggles of the past, but you can go on into the newness of life despite the struggle, despite the testing, despite the difficulty, because the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? That is a fact according to Scripture. You don't have to sit in the puddle of pity and self-shame anymore, church. 
And it's not very often that you're going to get me to rah, rah and be like, oh, I talk about sin. You know that we deal with these issues. But so many times we come in with our heads hanging low because we're struggling with who we are. We're struggling with the people that are around us. And you need to remember that Jesus loves you right this very second. Not only is Jesus the proof that God loves us, church, but he is faithfully loving us in all our imperfections because of Jesus continually and forever. Romans 8, 38 through 39, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus, church. Not even your own inadequacy. In fact, oftentimes God is using our weaknesses in the same way that he did with Paul. As we read in 2 Corinthians 12, that his power is perfected in our weaknesses. Now the tricky part is for us to honestly be able to say what Paul does, so I glory all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of God can powerfully work. Are we actually glorying in the things that we struggle the most with? Now, I'm not talking about accepting sin in our lives. We are to purge sin from our lives. We are to call it out when we see it and let him cleanse that from us. But when we're struggling, and it's a struggle that God has ordained for us to go through. Are we praying the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 4 where they said, not remove us from the struggle, not free us from the persecution, Give us the strength to endure and to preach your word with boldness. Church, that ought to be our prayer. Lord, give us the strength to preach with boldness despite what's happening around us. Give us that strength through the power of your spirit because we are your children and we love you. It is so important that we believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ more than knowledge of the mind, we have to believe it in the heart because it calibrates us so that we can trust Jesus when he lovingly adjusts our priorities. Let's bring it down to a finer point with what's in our text. Kind of been in the broad, let's get it sharp in the middle here. What's interesting is so often on a daily, even moment by moment basis, God is trying to work on my priorities. He's trying to sharpen what I'm focused on. He's trying to get me on point with him. And when we understand the love of God, as, as we look at those passages from Romans 5 and Romans 8, and as we think about what God has said he has done for us through Christ, then we can look at when he adjusts our priorities and see that this is healthy. This is good for me. And a lot of times people around you won't understand that. God adjusts your priorities, set these things straight. People are like, well, uh, what about, it's not that I don't love you. I have to get these priorities straight first. Because I will be of no good to you if my priorities are not aligned with the will of God. That's where I agree with Paul. And he says, I'm not here to please men. I have to be here to please God. I can't do both. It's not that he doesn't love the church. He recognizes that his relationship with Jesus is going to dictate how his love for the church flows. It has to be through the proper channels. When we find our identity in his love and not in what we're getting done or what should be getting done, we allow the Lord to adjust our priorities just like he did with Martha. Here was Martha's quandary, if you will. Luke ten forty. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. 
And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. I like how bold Martha is. And this is funny because people are like, oh, she said that to Jesus. Jesus is approachable. And he can handle our garbage. A lot of times we're like, oh, I can't say that to God. Come and be honest with him. The psalmist sure was. Lord, I want you to strike my enemies dead. I want to be blended up into a little bit of goo and dropped on a rock somewhere. Is that good with you? I'm paraphrasing, of course. You know, like we think about these, these situations where the psalmist is like, smite them where they stand. You know, he's like, he's just being real. He's like, this bothers me. We can be real with the Lord. Look at Peter. That guy was real all the time. All the time. Mount of Transfiguration. Let's build tents and stay here forever. Who do you think I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Lord, shh. Stop it. Peter looked at God and said, stop. And Jesus gently said, get behind me, Satan. You guys... That didn't mean that Jesus didn't love Peter. You're like, harsh. No, he's being real. You can be real with God. That's why we can come to him. We have this access to him. He wants his kids to come to him with their things. And with all of those things included, not flippantly, not intentionally sinning, but allow him in those moments to reveal your heart to you, to show you why you're there and why you're so frustrated. Think about how God dealt with Jonah. I'm mad. You didn't kill all those people like I wanted you to. I'm not talking anymore. God's like, do you have any right to be angry? Yes, I do. That's literally what Jonah said. Yes, and I want to die. Kill me. Right? Kill me now. He's the biggest martyr in the world. You know, I didn't get what I wanted. Kill me now. Now, I know these circumstances were extreme, but that's still exactly what he said. Don't pretend like you haven't felt the same. Don't pretend like you haven't looked at God and be like, kill me now, I'm done with this. And God's like, shh, it's fine. Why are you so upset? You're more upset about your shade being gone here in the 100-degree weather of Idaho than you are about the lost soul down the street. Why are you so concerned about your extravagances, about your personal comfort, and you don't care one bit about the person who I was going to slaughter? priorities these are priorities here in martha's situation here's another layer (laughs) it's like an ogre it's like onions you guys here's another layer it was the cultural expectation that the women do the job that martha was doing remember that the cultural expectation was not that mary would be seated at the feet of jesus it would be that she would be helping in the kitchen or the cleaning or the serving or whatever Martha was doing with her sister. That's what culture would expect. Instead, Mary's with Jesus, learning from the teacher. And so what Martha is upset about is understandable culturally. Do we use cultural formatting, if you will, to justify our frustration? This isn't how it's supposed to work. Why? Because other churches don't do it that way. It needs to be just like that because that's how we do church. Really? Why? Start asking the question, why? Be that annoying toddler in all your friend's life. Be that annoying toddler. 
We're going to do it this way. Why? And that's the youngest thing, by the way. That's the youngest thing. Why? Because I said so. Why? And if you're my parents, because I'll kill you if you don't do it right now. But like if you, you guys, we ask that question. Why? Why are we doing it this way? Is this the, is this the way we should do it? Explain to me how this works. And as Mary's sitting there with Jesus, Jesus is going to define this is okay. The expectation in this situation of the society is wrong. It's not the right priority. Always let Jesus adjust your priorities. Always let Jesus dictate to you what's most important. It's a good policy to go by. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. I have a hard time resonating with her on this one. You guys, I am one of the most task-oriented people I know. I'm a checklist person. You guys know this. I've talked about it often. If I'm not checking boxes off on my reminders, something's wrong in my life. In fact, I'll make stuff up just so I can check it off. I'm sick. I'm really, really sick. Like, I will make something up on my reminders list and be like, ding. Yeah. Why? Because I'm task-oriented. I need to get something done today. Why? Because if I'm not getting things done... By my own standards, am I really being profitable? Well, if God's the one who decides and Jesus is the one who decides, then my priorities shift according to what he says is worth doing, not me getting my tasks done. How many times have we prayed that prayer of frustration, Lord, don't you care that I've got all this stuff to do and everyone else is just sitting at your feet? They're so lazy. I'm the only one that's working on. Someone just help me out around here. I could spend time with you too, but I've got all these things to do. And so I don't have the time. I have all these tasks to complete that matter so much to you. Who do they matter to? The tasks matter to me. But do they matter to God? Not if it's costing your relationship with them. Not if it's costing your time with them. Not if it's costing you time at his feet. That is priority. That's what we're learning from this. I've got a problem when I become a task-oriented person. The ministry gets bigger and it gets more taxing on my time and more important than the one who entrusted me with this stewardship. Notice how I phrase that. It's not mine. I'm a steward. I'm a caretaker of it. It's his. You're his church. We are his church. There's no me or I. It's a stewardship. Therefore, the task matters, the work matters, the serving matters, the ministry, if you will, matters. The task and the ministry, however, both flow from the relationship. The task and the ministry flow from the relationship. They do not create the relationship. I can pour myself into all the churchly duties I can find. It will not make me closer to Jesus. I start with Christ. I start with the foundation there. That's where we are healthy. And when we establish our foundation in the love of God and in who Jesus says we are, then the task and the ministry is powerful because it flows out from that. The Lord looks at Martha and he says lovingly, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. It's not that the tasks aren't important, 
They're just not the most important thing. It's not that they don't matter. It's that something has to be in the place of why for them to matter. Let me explain. Why we're doing the task is the motivation behind it. Jesus has to be our why. The leading of the Spirit has to be our motivating factor. It's not about doing all the right things. That's works-based. It's about following the leading of Christ and loving relationship. You guys, think about what it says in Philippians 2.13. We are relationally and obediently in step with Him, so recognizing as we are there that it's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. He's working in you so that you can work according to His good purpose. It starts with Him renovating my heart. Being discipled at the feet of Jesus equips us for the task. And when our priorities get off balance, we begin to believe that doing the task is getting us closer to Jesus. But it's being close to Jesus that enables us to do the task and do it right. You ever get frustrated with, I'm doing all the stuff, but it's just not working? I'm just not, I know what I'm, something's off. It's relational. Something between me and the Lord. I missed a step. How many tasks are we so worried or upset about because we haven't prioritized the one who is necessary? Switch over to that slide that has Martha and Mary on it. Well, at least they're silhouettes. It's coming, I believe. Yes. This is the problem. She's anxious about all these things. But one thing was necessary. It's not that the other things didn't matter. It wasn't that Martha didn't have things to do. It's that those things were distracting her from her relationship with Jesus. Church, we share this. We share this problem. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that most of us know what this feels like right now. We've let many things distract us from that relational connection to the Lord. We probably have felt off for a little bit, if not for a long while, because of it. Action expresses priorities. If you are wondering if your priorities aren't straight, I want to go a little bit deeper in that quote from from Gandhi, although you're not going to get me to quote from Gandhi very often. But you guys... That's a very important quote because when you think about it, it's not just doing the right things, but how many times are we doing it and it just feels off? Something's wrong. And we know, but we just keep going. Why? Because we're out there to get her done. Right? I just got to get it done. Put my head down. That's the kind of person that I am. You know, the job needs to get done. Just put your head down. Get it done. Why am I doing it? What's behind it? Mary had made the right choice. She prioritized sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is invited to do the same. She's invited to do the same. Jesus isn't like, wow, Martha, there's really not much I can do to help you here. She says, one thing is necessary. That's an invitation. Prioritize, Martha. The other stuff can happen later, but right now, this is what matters. 
had nothing to do with her personality, had everything to do with the priority. And the sisters were beautifully gifted in different ways. And in order to see that beautiful difference, they both needed to sit at Jesus' feet. That's the lesson to be learned here. In order for me to truly appreciate and use the gifting that God has given me means that I start at the feet of Jesus. And that is something that we are all called to together. That's something that we all begin with. It's at the feet of Jesus that we find true clarity, strength, vision, skills and the tools that we're going to need for the task. Where do we begin our calibration? Well, I want to give one, one place to start, and it's the place where we all start. As we close, I'll have the worship team come on up. As we close our time, I want to show you Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. It says, this is Jesus speaking. This is the great commandment, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder if Martha saw herself as loving her neighbor as she served them in the house. She probably, I mean, I can't, I can't insert that into the situation, but I wonder. I ask aloud and question. I wonder if she actually considered that what she was doing was being servant-hearted and loving her neighbor through serving them. But she wasn't prioritizing the first commandment, love God the most and love your neighbor. There are priorities here. Loving God with your whole being, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Let me one-up that command in verse 39 of Matthew 22 with John fifteen twelve. Love others as Jesus has loved you. And in that order. Love God with your whole being. Love others as Jesus has loved you. This is where we begin our task list. This is where we begin our priority. I am in love with the Lord. And now I want to love others the way that he loves them. My task list will populate from there. My priorities and the things I need to get done, my ministry will flow out from that. But it has to start here. Otherwise, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. This is a unified prioritization for every single one of us. We all start here. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, you guys, am I loving God with all of my being? Am I loving everyone around me as Jesus loves them? There are Martha and Marys all over this room. We understand these personalities. Oh, Mary had her flaws too. You can believe it. But you guys, it's not about their personality type. It's about where they start from. It's about coming to the feet of Jesus who makes us a new creation. Not a better version of you. A new creation in Him. With all of your personality differences, with all of your character qualities, you've got some special gifting, every single one of us. God has gifted us in specific ways. What's beautiful about the church is if we all start at the priority, we start at Jesus, the feet of Jesus, do you realize how quickly we come together in unity and start working together? It's incredible. Nothing unifies like the body of Christ coming to the feet of the Savior and crying out to Him, use us for your glory so that we can both grow in our love for you and love one another. You guys, powerful things happen. When people come in confession, recognizing that we've fallen short, that we need Christ to change us. I want to encourage you guys really practically today.
I hope that this has been something that's very nuts and bolts from Scripture. It just makes sense. It's stuff that we can put together and be like, yeah, this is something I know I need to prioritize. I know how to approach this. And giving us like this, this unified prioritization of like, let's come to the Lord. Let's love Jesus. Let's love his church. And let's see what happens from there. But let me encourage you, at some point today, get along with him. Get along with Jesus. Find a quiet space. And spend time with Christ. Sit at his feet. And open your ears. Maybe open your Bible. Read a psalm. Do whatever the Lord leads you to do in that time. But take it very intentional time and listen. Let there be silence in your heart and mind. And listen for him. Let the Lord speak. Let him calibrate you. Let him set the priorities straight. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives, Lord, in this church. Lord, I pray that we would see that you have given us really special gifts. Lord, I so appreciate seeing your people work together. and Father, come together with common purpose. And I just pray, Lord, that this would encourage us today that we, as we fulfill those roles ought not to wish that we've been gifted differently. We long to grow. We long, we long to be um, in a place of maturing with you. But Lord, so often we're so busy. We're so busy. Technology has not made our lives easier. It has made our lives more busy. Show us how to slow our pace for just a bit. To set things correctly. To set priorities straight. And Lord, would you allow us to be a people that sees the fruit of being discipled by you, of worshiping you as Mary did, Lord, that we would not be held to cultural constraints, but that we would pour out our lives on, on your feet, Lord, that we would anoint the work that you've called us to do, Jesus, that we would glorify you by being extravagant in our worship for you. And then, Lord, we ask that we would have Martha's heart as well to serve. Center Jesus in you that we would have a heart to serve, to work. With all these priorities aligned, Lord, I pray that we would be effective for your kingdom. God, none of this is to draw any attention to us. It's to glorify your name that our community would see, Jesus, that you are able to take a group of people who are very flawed and transform them into a body. With you as our head, Lord, we ask that you would continue that work. Let's take a moment as we prepare to worship and let's just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And then we'll worship together. Let's just take a moment and let the Spirit work in our own hearts.